The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. chapter 11. Um, we are in a series right now called Ship Shape, and we're actually concluding that series. We've been in this for seven weeks today, and it's been great. How many of you enjoyed this series? We've been, uh, yeah, it's been so good. And what we've really been doing over the past seven weeks is we've been looking at these words that have ship in them, uh, words like discipleship, citizenship, ownership, uh, all these different ship words that, that help us to be who it is God's called us to be as a church. I don't know if you recognize this, but really what we've been doing is unpacking the seven values of New Song Church. That's what this series has been all about. Uh, we, our, our vision here at New Song is we want to help people know God. And we have seven values that we value as a church, seven plays that we want to run, seven things we want to do in your life that help you to, to know God the way God's called you to know Him, and also to help you be positioned so that you can help other people come to know God the way that God wants to be known by them. And so that's what we've been doing. And today, as we conclude this series, I want to talk to you about workmanship. Somebody say workmanship. workmanship. Look at this verse with me. This is Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's workmanship. Some translations say that word workmanship. It says that we are God's masterpiece. That you are a work of art. Or, or you can say it like this, you're a piece of work. Have ever told you that before? You're a piece of work. Turn the person beside you and say, you're a piece of work. You're a piece of work. But you're a piece of work with a purpose. Look at this. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. That's what happens when we make Jesus the Lord of our life. We become new. So we can do good things he has planned for us long ago. God has good plans for you. He's got stuff he wants you to do. This is how God kind of put it to me this week. You're a piece of work designed to do a piece of work for God. God created you to accomplish something. He's got a purpose for your life that he wants you to step into. And so what we've been doing in this series is talking about this assignment God has for us. And one of the analogies we've been using throughout the whole series is this idea of like the church being like a giant ship and that we're to raise these sails. And just like on a, on a giant ship, if you raise the sails, they are able, now the ship can capture and harness an invisible power that exists but now it can capture that power, and that power can move the ship ahead in the direction it's supposed to go. And we've been saying throughout this series that that's what we want to do as a church. As we raise these sails, we're now able to capture the power of God, the breath of God, the wind of God, the word of God, to help us move ahead in the plans that God has for our life. And this is important because we don't want to be a row, row, row your boat kind of church. We don't want to just this this to just be about our effort and our strength and our our grind, you know. We're, and we're going to work, but but we want to be able to capture the greater power to move us ahead. But it is important that you understand there is a work to be done. You know, if you're on a ship, in order for that ship to capture the power that's invisible that exists, someone's got to raise the sails. And on a giant ship, it takes effort. It takes coordination. It's work to get those sails raised. And so there is a, a part of this in, in the kingdom of God that we got work to do. There's an assignment God's called us to, and we got to get some work done. And it's important that you understand the church. Listen, I think sometimes we, we've been talking about ships, right? I think sometimes we think of the church as kind of like a cruise ship. 
You guys ever been on a cruise ship before? Anybody been on a cruise ship? Wave at me. You've been on a cruise ship? I've never been on a cruise ship because I'm afraid of them. Just to be real with you. I've seen stuff. I've seen videos. YouTube freaked me out. Not, not into that. Just, you know, I don't know. Just, uh, it scares me. Okay. But I do know this. I know people who've gone on cruises and they'll tell me like when you're on a cruise, it's all about you, isn't it? Like it's all about you and your pleasure and your enjoyment and your relaxation and you people serving you. Listen, I want you to know you ain't on a cruise ship. (laughs) The church is not supposed to be a cruise ship. While God loves you and he's for you and he wants to help you, this isn't just about you. This is about Jesus. This is about the call of God. This is about reaching other people. There's a call on our life. And so we're not a cruise ship. If anything, we're a battleship. And we got work to do. And we got a kingdom that we're raging against. That's a false kingdom. And on a battleship, people have assignments and people have jobs to do. And everyone works in a coordinated effort because life and death are on the line. Listen, life and death are on the line. People's eternity is on the line. And so there's an assignment. There's a job to do. There's work to do. And we got to understand how we walk in that. So I want to help you to see that today. If you would, bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you that you're here today, that you want to speak to us. Your word says that we're two or three are gathered together, that you're there in our midst. There's way more than two or three in here. So we know you're here. Your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. We've been worshiping and praising and glorifying you. So we, we're, we know you're here. And, and you're not a silent God. You want to speak. You want to be known. And so I pray as we open up your word, I pray that the truth would, would be clear and that it would set us free. I pray that, that over the next few moments, Lord, that this would not be about me. In fact, I pray that I would disappear and the Holy Spirit would show up. And the people would leave with an impartation from a real God who really loves them and really wants to use them to make an impact on this world. So Lord, help us today. And I pray that what we don't know, you would teach us. What we have not, you would give us. What we are not, you would make us. And we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for all the fruit that will be produced out of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Somebody say workmanship. 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 Now here's the value that this is really about. Uh, One of our values here at New Song Church is we want to activate difference makers. We believe that as Christians, we're called to make a difference. We're called to, to, to bring the difference-making power of Jesus Christ on the scene. So we want to help you understand how you step into that, how you walk in that. I want you to know God created you to make a difference. God made you with a purpose and a plan to do good things. And he made you uniquely you to fulfill a unique purpose that he wants you to step into. If you remember in week three of this series, uh, we talked about discipleship. You guys remember that? And one of the things we said in that series and said in that service was a disciple is one who finds, follows, and becomes fully formed to be like Jesus. And that's what it looks like to be a disciple. It's not that you just know about Jesus. It's not that you're just cheering him on from the sidelines, but that you, your life is, is being formed to look like him. You think like him. You act like him. You talk like him. You do the kind of things he did. You are an example of Jesus Christ in this world. That's what discipleship looks like. So, so when we talk about being a difference maker, man, it falls right in line with that because I think we can all agree that no one has made a difference in the world like Jesus Christ. Like Jesus was a difference making machine. He showed up on the scene and, and from the moment he appears on the scene, time has been divided. Like that's a difference maker right there. 
Jesus preached and teached and it made a difference. Jesus uh, healed people. How many know you, you're sick and you get healed? That's a difference, right? You're dead and you come alive. That's a difference. And before it was all said and done, Jesus made the greatest difference in that he goes to the cross, dies for our sins. So now we can be brought out of death into life. Now we can walk with a new covenant relationship close to God, bringing his kingdom rule and reign from, from heaven into this earth. Difference making stuff. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And so we're called to, to look like him and do the kind of things he did. He was the greatest difference maker in history, and he still wants to make a difference, and he wants people like me and you to help him to do it. And he said this in Matthew chapter 5, talking about what we're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to do. He said that we're called to be salt and light. If you've been in a new song, you've heard me say salt and light are agents of change. Salt makes things better. Light makes things brighter. And that's the kind of impact that God's called us to make on the world around us. God created you to make a difference. Turn to the person beside you and say, God made you to make a difference. And so, so understand this truth about the role that God's called you to. God needs you to make a difference. God needs you to make a difference. And when I say that, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying God wants you to make a difference. He does. He wants you to make a difference. But listen. The greater truth you need to come to terms with is God needs you to make a difference. In order for God to do the kind of work he wants to do in this world, he needs people who are willing to partner with him in the work he wants to do. Because this is how God set it up. God always works with human participation. That's just how he rolls in the world. Everything that God does, he needs a human to be a part of anything he wants to bring into this world. Look at the Bible. It's full of stories of God moving and interacting in the world and doing it through the lives of people that he calls, ordinary, everyday people that he calls that are willing to get on board with what he's wanting to do, willing to attach themselves to the assignment so they can be used to make a difference. And listen, this is still the kind of work that God wants to do. And so he's still looking for people that are willing to get on board with what he wants to do. So, so here's a truth that you need to come to terms with as a Christian, as a disciple, as a church. We've got to recognize this. God works with people. So here's how he works. God will do what he can do. What only God can do, he's going to do. He'll do that part. But what you can do, God won't do. If there's something that you can do, God's going to ask you to do it. He wants you to do it. We see this all over scripture. In fact, that's why I had you turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we have an, an, an amazing example of this. In this story, this is the story of Lazarus being brought back from the dead. So spoiler alert, that's the end of the story. I'm letting you know ahead of time, okay? But I think most of you probably already knew that. But in this story, Jesus is just kind of going about his business, doing the kind of stuff he does, and he gets this message that Lazarus is sick. And he's not just sick, he's like sick, sick, like he's, he's dying. And the message is, hey, Jesus, come quick, Lazarus is sick. And so Jesus at this time is about a day to a day and a half journey away from where Lazarus is. And the Bible says, it makes it very clear that he decides to wait two more days before he leaves. So, so what, he shows up now, he's at the house of Lazarus and he loves Lazarus, he loves Lazarus' family. But four days have passed and Lazarus is now dead. Lazarus has been dead for four days. 
And I was kind of doing the math. Okay, Jesus, let's say he's, he's two days away, or let's say he's one day away. It was a 20-mile journey. And then he waits two days. Here's what, here's what we understand. Probably by the time Jesus got the message, Lazarus was already dead. And I believe that's why he didn't rush out. And I believe part of why he didn't rush out is because Jesus was going to do a miracle. He, know, he knew he was going to do a miracle. And four days dead doesn't really matter to Jesus. Like, you know, he didn't need Lazarus's body to still be a little bit warm in order for him to do the miracle. In fact, I believe he waited because he wanted that body to be cold and stinky and already beginning to decay before he came to do the miracle because he didn't want to revive Lazarus. He wanted to bring Lazarus back from the dead. And so he shows up and the people, you know, they, they told him to come, but now he's shown up and Lazarus is dead and, and the, the atmosphere is kind of like, you know, Jesus... You didn't make it like you, he's gone. And we're a little disappointed with this. Some people are a little aggravated with Jesus, a little hurt. Some people are just kind of like, you know, Jesus, it, it would have been great if you would have, you would have made it, but, um, but you didn't. And I still love you. And you know, my, my grace will be sufficient for you, Jesus, in this moment. But, <laughs> but Jesus shows up. I, you know, I, I don't know why they had faith that he could heal Lazarus, but they didn't have faith that he could resurrect them. Maybe some of you, that's where you find yourself. But I want you to know something. Uh, resurrection, for a God whose signature move is resurrection, like, this is not a problem for him. See, I, I love what Jesus says on the way there, on the journey there. He's talking to his disciples about the situation, and he says, Lazarus is asleep. And they didn't get it. They thought he meant he was literally asleep. And so Jesus has to correct him. He's like, no, dude, he's dead, okay? I was, he's like, the sleep. I mean, he's dead. That's what I mean by sleep. And I think sometimes there's situations in our life where we look at stuff and we say, man, that, that's dead. But God's saying, hey, that's just asleep. And I can wake that up. So let's, let's let, let, invite me into that so I can wake that up and bring that back to life. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus doesn't do for these people in this miracle what they can do for themselves. What, what, what you can do, God wants you to do. And what's amazing in this story that as I've been studying it this week is Jesus comes and he comes to do a miracle. He's going to do an amazing work. He's going to do what only he can do. What can only Jesus do that no one else can do? He can bring Lazarus back from the dead. But what they can do, Jesus invites them to do and requires them to do. And this is so important. God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. God invites you into the miracle, but you play a part in it. In fact, if you're taking notes, jot this down. God does the miracle but you play a part and your part is important. Your part is, vi is vital to the work that God wants to do because here's how God works in this world. God is a motion activated God. God needs you to move. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. God invites you to move in faith. There's a movement that takes place. Anybody in here ever been to Walmart before? Walmart. Yeah. It's funny. No one raises their hand. <laughs> You Oklahoma people, don't act so bougie. You go to Walmart. We go to Walmart. You got to go to Walmart. Sometimes you got to go to Walmart, right? You'd rather go to Target, but sometimes you got to go to Walmart. You'd rather go to, to the mall, but sometimes you got to go to Walmart. What happens when you go to Walmart? When you walk up to Walmart, the doors open, right? And what, what makes those doors open is your motion. They're motion-activated doors, right? Your movement opens the door. Now, I want you to imagine a scenario. You need something, and it's at Walmart. And so you get online, walmart.com. You find the thing you need. You order it, and you pay for it. 
and you got to pick it up at Walmart. So you go to Walmart and there's something inside now that belongs to you. You've purchased it. It's been paid for. It's on the other side of those doors. And so you pull up to Walmart in your car and you're sitting out there and you're going, okay, as soon as those doors open, I'm going to go in and I'm going to, I'm going to get what rightfully belongs to me. I want you to know, if you don't get out of your car and walk towards those doors, you're going to stand there all day waiting for those doors to open and they ain't going to open because they open because they're motion activated, right? And so listen, there's some stuff that God has purchased for you through Jesus Christ. It's been purchased. It belongs to you. You can have it. But in order for you to have it, you have to move in faith. You have to pray in faith. You have to believe in faith. You have to not just take God at his word, but you have to start acting on that word, moving on that word, believing in that word. And as you move, then your movement begins to open the doors. Now God can open the doors he wants to open so you can have what's on the other side of that door. Can I get an amen? Proverbs 69 says it like this. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Notice the Lord doesn't just establish your stance. Although he will establish your stance, he also establishes your steps. He wants to give you firm foundation that you can walk on, that you can move on in faith. So, so you find, you got to find the promises. You got to find the things that God is saying to believe and put your faith in. And then you begin to stand on those promises, speak those promises, live by those promises. Then you're moving based on the promises of God. And you can see the doors that God wants to open up, open up. So, so get this. Here, here's the first thing I need you to see before I've even started to get into the verses yet. Understand this. Jesus will not do for you what you can do for yourself. He'll, he'll do the miracle. He'll do the part you can't do. But what you can do, he wants you to do. And I believe in this story, we see some stuff in the miracle. Jesus is going to do a miracle, but he needs people to step in and do their part. And because these people are willing to step in and do their part, they get to be a part of the miracle. Okay, so look at this with me. Luke chapter 11, or I'm sorry, John chapter 11. Verse 34, Jesus shows up, Lazarus is dead, and Jesus says, verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. So the first thing that Jesus invites them to do and participate in the miracle, Jesus is going to do a miracle, but he's inviting them into it. The first thing he asks them to do is this, identify where the deadness is. Identify where the deadness is. There's a lot of dead stuff going on in the world today. There's a lot of dead stuff that can be taking place in our life. And I think sometimes we need to take a moment to identify what's dead. What's dead? What's dead around us? What's dead and buried in our life? What, what do you see around you that's dead that maybe Jesus is saying to you today, I want you to bring me to that thing? Maybe it's a dream. Maybe God put something on your heart. And at one point, man, it was, this is what you wanted. This is what you were going to do, where you were going to go. But then it didn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out. It didn't work out on your timetable. You ever notice your timetable doesn't always line up with God's timetable? And so what do we do? We say, ah, oh, it's dead. And we bury it. And we roll a rock in front of it. And we say, that's, that's dead. That's gone. Maybe it's something that's taken place in your life that you want to see changed. Maybe it's a change in your health. Maybe it's a change in a relationship. Maybe it's a change with your spouse. Maybe it's a change with one of your kids. Maybe you've got a child that's away from God. Maybe 
it, it, it's, a, it's a change that you see that needs to take place in the world. There's a lot of stuff that needs to take, a lot of change that needs to take place in the world. But you look at it and you say, well, I, what can I do? I, I can't, like, like, that's dead to me. I can't affect that for change. I can't make a difference there. I can't impact that for change. So I'll, I'll, just, I'll just roll a stone in front of that and say that it's dead. Maybe today I believe that Jesus is saying to you, where's the dead stuff? What's dead in your life? That Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to bring me to it. Bring me to it in prayer. Bring me to it in worship. Bring me to it in faith and just see what I can do. Where have you placed it? Where's the dead stuff? Because what may seem dead and buried to you is not dead and buried to a God whose signature move is resurrection. So what's dead? What's dead in your life? What's dead that maybe there's a pull on you right now that the Holy Spirit is tugging at you and saying, hey, it ain't dead. It's just asleep and I want to bring it back. What's dead? Jesus invites them to identify where is that dead thing? Where's the dead thing? Here's the second thing. Look at this. Verse 39. They bring Jesus to the tomb where Lazarus is buried. Then Jesus says, take away the stone. Now look at this. Uh, Martha, his sister, says the sister of the dead man says, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been dead for four days. So Jesus says, I, I want you to, you've identified where the deadness is and now I'm inviting you to something else. I'm inviting you to the next step, which here's the next step. If you're taking notes, jot this down. The next step is you have to expose it. You have to expose it. You have to take away the thing that's blocking the breakthrough. You know, that's what the stones were designed to do. They were designed to hide away the stuff that was dead, hide away the deadness, hide away the stench. Because it's like she says, there's an odor. And some translations say, he stinketh. You know, there's some stuff in the world that stinketh. There's an odor to it. And, and so Jesus says, hey, I want you to pull back the stone. Now, understand what that meant. This was going to take effort. This was going to take work. This was going to take some coordination. They were going to have to get up close and personal with the stuff that stinks. They were going to have to, 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 to rally a group of guys. We're going to have to place their hands on this stone that probably took them a while to get in place and now move it and, and sweat and work and push to get this out of the way. But if they don't move the obstacle, then the miracle can't come out. But it stinks. You say, this thing, you know, I see stuff in the world. I don't like it, but, but it stinks. And if, if I'm the one who goes and exposes this, people may not like it. They may not like me for exposing it. This, this injustice, this prejudice, this thing. If I expose it, people may walk away from me. If I expose this area of my life where I'm, there's some shortcoming in me. I've got this addiction. I've got this sin. I've got this problem. If I expose that to people around me, they're going to say, ah, oh, that stinks. That's off-putting. I don't know if I want to be around you anymore. Listen, that may be the case. I can't promise you that in sometimes in the exposing of what stinks and what's dead in the world, that there won't be people that walk away from you. But the point is this, what is God asking you to do? Because if we're not willing to do whatever it takes, we're not going to be a part of the miracle. God's inviting you to a miracle, but you got to be willing to say, Hey, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll get my hands dirty. I'll get up close and personal with that thing that stinks. I'll, I'll, I'm willing to, 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 to lay it on the line and, and push hard and rally people behind this cause because the cause is important and God needs to do a miracle. And I believe he's calling me to be a part of it. 
if there's any area in me that, that I'm covering up, if there's any area in me that I've rolled stones, I'm going to remove the stones. I'm going to invite people to help me remove the stones. I'm going to humble myself to do whatever it takes because God wants to do a miracle in me. God wants to do a miracle through me. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to position God so he can do what only he can do. Jesus will do what he can do. But what you can do, you got to do. And if you don't do what God's inviting you to do, listen, Jesus can't do what he wants to do. You play a part and you got to do your part. So Jesus has invited them, say, he said, hey, show me where the deadness is. He says, I want you to expose it. And now Jesus goes to work doing what only he can do. Verse 41, so they, notice it's a they, it's a group effort, took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I love verse 42. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. <laughs> I love that. He's like, you know, these guys need this. I don't really need it, but whatever. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. This is all he had to say. Three words, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And a miracle takes place. The dead man came out, comma. Now, I'm telling you, if I'm writing the Bible, I'm slapping an exclamation point right there, personally. Because this, this is a miracle. This dude's been dead for four days. Four days, like in Bible times. They, they, he wasn't like embalmed. This guy was dead. He was swelling. He was rotting. Gases were coming out of his body. That's why he stinketh. It was not good. He was decomposing, dead. And now he's alive. Exclamation point. The dead man came out. His hand, but look at this, look at this. His hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now look at this. Jesus said to them, so there's still work to be done. There's still a part of the assignment he's inviting them into. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So get this. Jesus has done the miracle. He's been brought to life. He was dead. Now he's alive. But the work in his life isn't over. He needs people to rally around him and help him pull off the stinky dead wrappings of death. Now remember what I said. Jesus will only do what he can do. What you can do, he invites you to do. So here's what this tells me that we play a massive part in the freedom God wants to bring people out of. You know, New Song Church, I, I hope you recognize that when people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and are born into the new life that, that, that takes place, the moment you believe and confess in your heart and believe, uh, bless, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that moment there's a miracle that takes place and you're brought to life. What was dead comes to life. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. But, but there's still work to be done. And I hope you recognize that, that, that some of these people that are brought into new life, they're still going to be wrapped up in some stuff that's dead. They're still going to be wrapped up in some stuff that's restricting, that's keeping them from moving the way God's called them to move. They're still going to be wrapped up in some stuff that stinketh. And it's our job as the church to have a Lazarus type of grace for them that says, hey, we're here to unwrap you. We're here to help you. 
to step out of these old dead grave clothes. I also want you to notice something. Jesus doesn't say to Lazarus after he comes out, all right, Lazarus, you're, you're out. Um, and I know that those clothes stinketh. I get it. Um, I know that you can't really move really well, but I need you to stay in this stuff because it's a really good testimony of what I've done in your life. So I need you to kind of stay there. I need you to kind of j- hop around through the rest of your life so that people can see that about you. And that's going to be your new identity now. Your new identity is in the deadness of who you were. Even though I brought you to life, I need you to stay in that deadness because that's really how I want people to identify you. No, 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 no. That's not how Jesus rolls. Jesus brought him to life, and then Jesus looks at the people, and he says, hey, you guys that are around him, that love him, you're here, help him get out of this garbage, because this is not the life I brought him out of. This is not why I resurrected him, to have to hop around like this. So here's two things you got to understand about this story. Number one, if you find yourself in a place of bondage today, one, Jesus loves you, and he wants to bring you to life. Once he brings you to life, here's the second thing, or the thing you need to recognize, is that you have to give permission to people to help unwrap you. You got to give permission so that people can come alongside you and unwrap you from the sins that you may be entangled in, from the deadness of the self-esteem issues that you may be struggling with, from the deadness of the stinky grudge that you may be hanging on to from the deadness of those issues that you find yourself in. You need to invite people, give people permission to come alongside you and partner with you so you can be accountable. Because if you don't, listen, you may be brought back to life through Jesus, but you're going to spend the rest of your life hopping around with some stinky, off-putting stuff on you, wondering why freedom doesn't feel so free. You got to be willing to say, hey, I need your help. I need your help. It reminds me of what the Bible says in James 5, 16 and 18. It says, confess your faults one to another. This is talking about one anothering. It's talking about who we are as a church, as a family. To come together, confess to each other and pray for one another that you may be healed. That word healed means you may be restored. You may be set free. Listen, we go to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, but we go to each other for the healing and the freedom that Jesus invites us into. So so here's what you see. You play a part in this. Your part is so vital in what God wants to do. Jesus is going to do what only he can do. But the other parts he's inviting you into. So you got to give people permission. And here's the second thing. If you want to be a part of the work and the miracles that Jesus is doing in this world, you got to play your part. You got to play your part because your part is vital because Jesus works in this world through human participation and God wants to do a miracle, but he needs you to play your part. He needs you to be a part of it. So how do we do this? Okay, I got three things for you. First of all, if you want to be a part of the difference-making work that God wants to do in this world, and I hope you see that you should, if you want to be a part of it, the first thing you need to do is we listen. We listen. We listen. We pay attention to what Jesus is saying. You know why the people in this story got to be a part of the miracle that Jesus did? Because they were paying attention. Jesus isn't trying to hide his plan from you. Just like he was with those people around the tomb of Lazarus, he was giving them clear instruction and clear direction. And the reason they got to be a part of the miracle is because they just listened and obeyed. They were just simply willing to listen and say, okay, Jesus, you're saying to do this. It may not make sense to me. I may not understand it, but I'm going to do it anyways because I want to be a part of the work that you're doing in this world. And because they were willing to just say, God, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. 
They got to be a part of the miracle. They got to play a part in it. They got to set the stage so Jesus could do what only Jesus can do. You got to play your part in this miracle. You got to, you got to listen. Maybe you say today, I, I don't really know what Jesus is calling me to do. Well, that's why we listen. Look at this verse, Jeremiah 33, verse three. It says, call to me and I will answer you. Notice that first part, call to me. This is God talking, call to me and I'll answer you. I'll answer you. God wants to answer you. He's not trying to hide this from you. And I will tell you and even show you great and mighty things, things that have been confined and, and hidden, which you did not know and understand and cannot distinguish. Listen, there's stuff that you can't see right now that God wants to show you. There's revelation he wants to give you where he pulls back the curtain on stuff that maybe have always been there, but you just could never see it. But he wants to show it to you. And part of the key to finding it and seeing it and getting the revelation of it is you call on the Lord. Call on me. And then you listen. So, so here's what this looks like, real practically. You go to the Lord and you say, okay, God, I get it. You need me. You've called me to make a difference. You've called me to impact this world. I get it. I see it. And I want to be a part of that, Lord. So what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? Here I am. I want to be used by you. Speak to me. Show me. And listen, I can't promise you that you're going to have it all figured out by next weekend. In fact, I can almost promise you, you won't, okay? But I can promise you this, God will start to show you stuff. And it may be a word that he gives you. It may be someone else comes to you and says something that sparks an idea in you. It may be that you see an issue and all of a sudden it's highlighted to you like you've never seen it before. It may be that you begin to, to serve in a particular area and out of that area is birthed a vision and an idea. I, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm telling you, him doing it is on the other side of you saying, God, here I am. I want to be used. Will you use me? And listening and listening and being patient. So number one, we got to listen. Here's number two. We find people. If you want to be a part of the difference-making work that God wants to do, if you want to be a part of the miracles that God wants to do, we have to find people. Listen, found people find people. If you're a found person, raise your hand up in this room. So our job, we got to find people. So the first people we have to find is we have to find people that we can partner with, people that we can lock arms with in life to do the assignments God's called us to. Because listen, the way God works, while God maybe has a part for you to play in the miracle, I want you to understand, the part he has for you is not a solo part. And, and hopefully this brings some freedom to you because maybe some of you are going, Pastor Josh, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I just don't have it all. Like, I don't have it all. I know you don't. Neither do I. Neither does anybody. Nobody in the kingdom of God is Superman or Wonder Woman, Okay. Only Jesus was that. All of us, we have something to bring to the table, but we don't have everything. But, but here's the truth. Nobody has everything, but everybody has something. And so the church is called the body of Christ. It's called the family of God. And how it works is we all come together. We bring our unique something to the table and our unique something partnered with God and partnered with other people creates something that can do something miraculous. It's in partnership with other people. So we got to find people that we can partner with. We got to find people we can connect to. In the kingdom of God, it's not, a, it's not a solo project. It's a connected work that we do together. So God has a plan for you. And his plan involves other people being connected with you. But I also need you to know that the enemy has a plan for you. There's a real devil and he exists and he has a plan for you. 
And his plan has a lot of different facets, but two of the major plays that he runs work this way. Plan A for the enemy is he just wants to keep you from God. If he can keep you from God or keep you seeing God the wrong way, that's, that's what he wants. If he can keep you in the deadness of your sin away from God, that's plan A, success. That's what he's after. But if he can't do that, the next plan that he runs, plan B, is he wants to keep you disconnected from the family of God. Because he understands something that maybe you don't understand. He understands that he maybe can't keep you from heaven, but if he can keep you from other people, he can keep you from making a difference and he can keep you from getting other people into heaven. And so what he does is he comes at you and he begins to start filling your mind up with ideas and mentalities. And the goal is to intoxicate you, to inebriate you with these ideas that get you going through life, walking in a drunk state a little off, seeing things the wrong way, a little foggy, things aren't quite clear, you're a little numb, can't really, can't really bring it all together. He, he fills your mind up with these thoughts. And so he comes to you and he says stuff like, you know, you really don't have that much to offer. Like there's a lot of talented people in this church. There's a lot of people in this church now. And you know, you, I mean, you're, you just, you're not as talented as, you know, Pastor David, Terry, you're not as big as Pastor Josh Romano. You're not as good looking as Pastor Josh Blunt. <laughs> but he'll try to come at you and, and try to convince you that you don't have enough. He'll say, you know, they're, they're talking about this building project coming up and you, you don't really have that much to bring. Like you, you can't really give much. So you might as well just keep it for yourself. It's not going to really make that big of a difference. He'll come to you and he'll say, you know, if you weren't there, they wouldn't even notice. They don't really care about you. They don't notice you. They don't. It's, it's not that important. Or, or here's another one. He'll come at you and he'll say, you know, right now, church just needs to be about you. Because you're a mess. And you know you're a mess. And it's just best that right now, you just go to church for you. And someday, when you get it all together, when you get it all together, someday, then you can step in. Then you can do the work God's calling to. But right now, until you get it all together, listen, please hear me when I tell you this this morning. If you're hearing that kind of stuff, if those kind of thoughts are going through your brain, that is not the Holy Spirit talking to you because that does not agree with the word of God and the will of God for your life. Some of you, you need, yes, you don't have it all together. And part of you getting it together is getting connected in the family the way you're supposed to be. Some of you, you, you think you don't have anything to bring, but you have something to bring. And what uniquely God has given you can make a huge impact. So quit believing those lies. Don't walk around in that intoxicated state. That's why 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, sober up, be vigilant. Why? Because there's an adversary, an enemy of your life. He comes as a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He's trying to devour you and he's trying to devour you from the plan of God God has for you because if he can devour you from that plan, he can also devour other lives. So we got to sober up. We got to recognize we need people. We got to partner with people. We need to connect to the work that God wants to do in our life. We find people to partner with that call out things in us that speak life and truth to us. We find people to partner with. And then here's the second part of that. We find people to help. We find people to help. Luke 19.10 says this about Jesus. The son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Notice two things there. And I think sometimes we focus a lot on the second part. Jesus came to save. But he didn't just come to save. He came to seek. He came to look yeah. for
for people who were away, who were disconnected. He was looking for them. May I remind you, we're called to be disciples. We're called to look like him, act like him, think like him, do what Jesus did. My question is, are you seeking? Are you seeking that which is lost? Are you bringing anybody in? I'm grateful we got a room full of people. I really am. But I also look around the room and there's still some empty chairs. And there's empty chairs on Saturday night and there's empty chairs in first service. And there's people in the world that are broken and hurting and dying and going to hell. There's people that are, that are living well short of what Jesus came to make a way for them to experience. And we can't be satisfied with this. I love this. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for all of you. I'm grateful for what God's doing in this church. But we got to keep pushing. We got to keep pursuing. We got to be people who are seeking to bring more people in. We find people, found people, find people. Here's number three, last point. We serve people. Saved people serve people. If you're saved, if Jesus Christ has saved you, the next step for you is you got to be a servant. Greatness in the kingdom of God, that's what Jesus says. Greatness looks like this. You're a servant. You know, in the world, greatness looks like people are serving us. That's how the world judges. Like, how many people are serving me? That, that shows how great I am. Jesus says just the opposite. And what's great about that, we, we have a statement here at New Song Church. Anyone can be great because anyone can serve. If you're willing to just jump on board with that idea, you can do great things. You can make a difference. And what I love about our church is so many people are doing this. There's so many people that are helping us accomplish this incredible work. There's so many people that are setting the stage for the miracle that Jesus is doing. And I, I want you to know there's miracles taking place. We're, we're hearing about healings taking place all the time. People being brought out of addiction. People, lies being exposed. Like God's doing incredible stuff in this church. And there's some amazing people that make a way for that. I, th I think of all these guys that are out in our parking lot every, every weekend. Guys out there like Bradshaw, Greg Greg Jeffries, Corey Lovelace, Brad Lewis, AJ Himes, they're out there welcoming people in, waving at them, helping them find a parking spot. You know, our parking lot's pretty full nowadays. And so these guys are helping you find a place. And then when you're mad because you can't find a place, they're smiling at you. And I love it. And it's so important. I read a statistic one time that said, most people decide if they're ever going to come back to a church within the first 15 minutes of pulling into the parking lot. So think about that. In, in your average church, if you come in, you've never been there before, it's your first time. 15 minutes in, I mean, they're probably not even in this room yet. Parking, registering your kids. Maybe they've heard the first song. They haven't heard anything from me. And they've already decided if they're ever going to come back again. You know what that tells me? That tells me a lot of what is important to what God is doing in this church happens outside of this room. And so I'm grateful that there's people like like Brandon Schmidt and Jason Russo who show up and make coffee because some of you, you love your coffee. You need your coffee. You want that coffee. You amen the coffee. You serve the God of Jehovah Java. <laughs> Quit shaking your head at me. I got to laugh. Saturday night, they just stonewalled me. It's a cheesy pastor joke, but I'm allowed, okay? I'm grateful for people like John and Crystal Cunningham who go back in our Boomtown class and who just love on kids and teach them the word. And they're even bringing up teenagers and training teenagers to run lights and puppets and 
and making that one of the most fun moments for a kid in a given week. I'm grateful for people like Heather Lane. Is Heather in here? Heather Lane, some of you, yeah, Heather. Heather, you're so awesome. I'm so grateful for you. I love you. Thank you for all that you do for our church. Every time, yes, give her a hand. It's been, it's been years since I've come to church on the weekend and she's not already here. Serving, doing whatever, calling me pastor. I'm just so grateful for you. You're a gift to our church. Some of you know her because she's the one that helps walk you through getting planted. All those people that got planted, she was the one that helped them get 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 to this place and she's the one helping them get connected in the church such a vital important role uh emily lawrenson where's emily at emily i love you you're i'm so grateful for you back there and kids you're so gifted so talented back there in your sandals just loving on kids <laughs> grateful for you really am thank you thank you for making the word come alive to them <laughs> means a lot means a lot you're a gift Guys like Keith, he's back here, hidden behind the wall in the dark corner of the room. <laughs> people running sound. Jay Sanders is not here. David Atkins, Emily's back there today. These people that are in the dark corners making, making this all possible, helping us sound good, look good, making this available to be streamed online. A lot of you right now, hey, let Keith know. You're watching online. Thank you, Keith. You're a blessing. <laughs> he's the one. I don't know what we would have done without him. Last year, when, when everything fell apart and the church couldn't open its doors, it, it was a guy like Keith that helped us to stay a church. I'm just so grateful. Like God's been so good. I'm so grateful that I'm not trying to do this in my own strength and just on my own, that it's a team effort, that we're all rallying around and raising these sails. Because I'm telling you, if this was just about me, it would not be good. <laughs> but God's given us so many people. And it's pretty cool what's happening here, isn't it? We're getting it done, aren't we? But I, and for some of you, I want you to know we're getting it done without you. And we're getting it done, but I want you to know we could get it done a lot better with you. And there's more people to be reached. And, and Jesus talking about the problem that we've, we face in this earth, the solution to that problem, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so what Jesus is looking for is people that have this kind of heart attitude. Here I am, send me. Here I am. And, and I want you to know today, like the greatest thing that you bring to the table, you may look at your life today and say, I, I don't have that much to bring. I don't have that many gifts. I don't have, I, I, I'm just, my abilities fall short. I want you to know it, it, the greatest ability you really bring to the table is your availability. I, I look back at my life and the people who've made the biggest impact on me. And you know what they were? They were available. They didn't have every answer, but they were willing to sit with me in tough moments and call things out of me and call me on my crap sometimes and straight me out. Like we need people like that, that are just willing to be available. Here I am, send me. And maybe you say today, I, I don't know, Pastor Josh, it just feels kind of difficult. In fact, I've heard people say this before. I feel like new song can be a little clicky. I want you to know, this is not a clicky church. Like it really isn't. I know sometimes when you're on the outside looking in, you can feel that way, but it's kind of like, here's, here's the best way I know how to describe it. It's kind of like a swimming pool. You guys know the beginning of the summer when you're getting ready to get into the pool for the first time. And, and so what do you do? We kind of think, okay, I'll, I'll start at the shallow end and I'll kind of work my way in. And so you start in the shallow end and you're walking into the pool and it's a little chilly and it's, it's, it's awful. Like you're oh, ha, ha, nah. Every step you take, it gets ha, ha, 
The best way to get in the pool is what? Just dive in. You dive in, it'll be uncomfortable for a second, but then you're going to get used to it. You're going to adjust. And I'm, I'm letting you know, I, I, I promise you this. I promise I know the people in this church. I know the people who are serving. If you will just dive in and plug in, I promise you, you're not going to find a bunch of people going, what do you think you're doing? You're going to find a bunch of people go like, hey, come alongside us. We love you. We need you. We're grateful for you. That's who we are. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I believe Jesus is saying this to us, church. Jesus wants to do some miracles. Jesus wants to bring some dead stuff to life, but he needs people. He needs people. Jesus will do what he can do, but he needs you to do what you can do. And in order for Jesus to do what he wants to do, he needs you to do what you can do. He needs you to identify where the deadness is. I believe Jesus wants to bring some miracles to some dead areas, but you gotta identify where the deadness is. Then you got to expose it. You got to be willing to roll away the stone, roll away the excuses, roll away the problems. And then once Jesus does that miracle, we got to be the kind of people who say, all right, I'll unwrap them. I'll help them. I'll walk with you. I know you got some stinky stuff on you. Sometimes that stinky stuff stinketh and it's trying to get on me, but I'm going to love you anyway. And I'm going to help you get this stuff off of you so you can walk in the fullness of the life that Jesus has called you to. Can I get an amen? Would you bow your heads? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.